whether it's a, a spoken if or just the, what we see, tend to give off, there's an if. if. I want them, yeah, if they'll straighten up their act, you know. We, we really want you to get things together and, and then once you get your life together, get things straightened out because you don't, we don't want you to embarrass us. So, or, or if, if I want them to come to know the Lord, it's not they don't ask too many questions. For one thing, I don't know the answers to the questions, which is why we're having a men's study on know what you believe. But, but you know, we're, I don't think you're supposed to ask questions, are you? You're not supposed to question God. And, or we say, I, I, I want them to, be, to come to church or be a part of this if they don't expect me to make them comfortable. I kind of like things the way they are, and, and, and this is environment I enjoy. And, and so, you know, as long as their expectations aren't, I've got to bend over for them, you know then sure, yeah, you're welcome, you're, come on in. Or, or they don't expect me, I want them to come to me. I, I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't have to go, we're here, we've told you where we are, our doors are open and your times and, you know, we're the regular times. And, and so we, we, without recognizing it, maybe sometimes, unintentionally, we, that's the message we send. And, and uh, we don't mean to, but, but it's what comes across if we're not careful. So that's, that's one reason, is just to give us that chance to, Self-evaluate. Lord, I, I haven't fallen into that. And we've been studying the life of Christ, so we're seeing his heart for the loss in this process. We started this study uh, right before Easter. Then there's a second reason, and it may be because maybe someone in this group this morning, or you know someone that, you know, they walked away. They they decided they'd had enough of this church thing, this Christianity, and and uh, or uh, uh, or maybe... Uh, we watched the message last week by Andy Stanley. Maybe their hands on the door. Now, you haven't told anybody, but you know what? This just doesn't seem to line up with life and, and doesn't make a lot of sense. And, and uh, you know, I just, I, I'm not sure I can keep doing this. And so you're ready to, to walk out the door. And, and so part of the message here is, is maybe, maybe your reason is, you know, you just don't like Christians. You know, I've had, I've been around them now. I, you know, it seems like the same issues that are out there are in there, in here. And why, you know, so why, why be a part of that? Or, or maybe it's someone once told you the Bible's full of errors and, and you like them and they're a pretty smart person. So they said it, it must be true. Or, or you've been told that God's a joy stealer and you've seen some Christians, you know, some of those Christians as, I forget who said it, but they, they look like they've been soaked in pickle, pickle juice, you know. And so that's pretty convincing. And so, so you were told, you know, if you do this thing, if you follow this, this Christian path, everything you enjoy doing right now, just forget it because you don't get to do it anymore. It's that's because God's a joy stealer. Or maybe this, maybe I just don't buy this Jesus is God stuff. And, and, and so, and here, and here as we've walked through this series, here's been kind of the, what the, the main message has been. Don't do that. Don't walk out that door. Don't reject this based on what Christians have done or what you've heard said or until you've taken the time to really take a look at Jesus. Because that's what this is really about. Uh, we may not always represent that well. We may not always give that message as clear as we could, but this is really about Jesus. And and so don't reject Jesus because of other people or what or decisions you've made or what you've heard. Make sure you've taken the time <coughs> to check out Jesus. It's interesting. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, disciples uh, his followers, you know, or the ones he's hoping to become his followers, uh, uh, come unto me. 
or, or come on to the church or, you know, because lay your burdens at the church's feet. He says, no, come on to me. He pointed to himself, and, and in fact, in this situation, he'd been, he'd ha- been having, he had his followers together, and, and all along, as you know, as we've been walking through this series, all along, they were kind of in a, you know, I believe, I don't believe. He is, he isn't, you know? I think he might be Messiah. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that's what the Messiah does. And so they're constantly up and down and believing and not believing and, and uh, accepting and rejecting. And it was just a real process for them. And so he's having a conversation one time to him, and he says, uh, you know, because they've asked. They said, well, who are you? He says, they want to know the way. He's just had this conversation. He said, you know, you know the way. And, and Thomas says, yeah, I don't know. We don't know the way. And and so he says, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And then later on he makes this statement. He says, believe me. It's about me. It's about Jesus. When I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, he said, believe me, I'm trying to tell you it's not about religion. It's not about a title. It's not about a prayer. It's not, it is about a decision to believe that I am God. The, the Father, the Heavenly Father and I, are. We're, I'm in him. He's in me. Believe me. But, but then I love this because then he goes on and says, but, but if you're not ready to make that step, at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. At least check it out. Look at me. Look at the things that, that happened because God worked through me and then make your decision. Don't make it based on other things, and, and so I, and so that's kind of what this process has been for us. Now it's interesting. We followed Jesus' life from, and, and we haven't gone in details. And like I, I recommended in the very beginning, if you really want to do a, a good detailed study that that is just done so well, Andy Stanley did a series uh, right first year. In fact, it ended on Easter called 90. And I would, I would point you to that. And, and a lot of the things that I listened to the whole series and a lot of the things that touched my heart in this series of messages came from that. And, and so look that up and check it out. But we, so we've been following Jesus' life. We started back before Easter with, with the opening act. Remember John the Baptist? It says uh, he's kind of sent on the scene and he's calling to the people, the, the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, and he's saying, hey, something is about to happen. Something big is just about to take place. Bigger than you can even understand. And, and he said, but you need to be ready. You need to s- set your heart and, and be ready to receive because God's about to do something, but you got to make sure, am I, am I ready to receive this thing that, that God has for me? And, and they're kind of saying, I wonder if it's the Messiah because they've been looking for the Messiah for centuries. And so it's kind of an exciting time. And then, and then one day, John is speaking and talking to people and, and giving that same message. And all of a sudden he says, he's here. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And, and so he passed this crowd that had gathered. In fact, they were, remember, we, we talked, they were coming from all over the country. Some of them would walk days to get to hear John speak. And, that, and, and there, was, there were thousands of them. And that day he passed them to Jesus. He said, he's the one now. He's the one I've been talking about. He's the one you need to check out. It's not about me, it's about him. And then Jesus did this really strange thing. Just when when the opening act passes it off to the main act, the main act leaves. He goes off in the wilderness, you remember? And we saw the dynamic as we walked through that that situation that Jesus was in as, as Satan joins him there and begins a series of tests. We saw We saw... That from that point on in Jesus' ministry, there was going to be this tension. 
And, and even in Jesus, because here is Jesus, he's the Messiah, which the Jew understood that meant that he is God and flesh and blood. Now, they, didn't, they weren't convinced yet he was the Messiah, but, but that's what the Messiah meant. God was going to come into our midst. We, in Andy Stanley's message, he was going to come on to our side of the frame. And, and so they understood that they'd been looking for that. And so there's this tension because he is flesh and blood and he is God. And there's always going to be this tension which was set up in the wilderness of, do I do things uh, according to my plan, my way of doing things, or do I do them according to the Father's kingdom? Sh- shouldn't I be able to do things my way? My, shouldn't I be able to fulfill my desires? And so Jesus had to answer that question. He had to answer it when Satan came to him and said, hey, let's, let's, let's jump. You know, we can skip all this hard stuff in the middle, and I'll just hand things over to you if you'll just worship me. And so we watched through that pattern. And this is going to be a pattern that Jesus is going to be uh, facing over and over in his ministry. He will be constantly have those opportunities that his flesh will say, this would be the route that would be most, humanly speaking, this seems to be the best route to go. And then he'd have to decide, do I do it that way or do I father the will or do I follow the will of my father? One of those that we looked at a few weeks ago was that opportunity was walking into Jerusalem. And remember, he, he's walk, he's going there to he's told the disciples, we're going to Jerusalem, and and uh, and as they get near Jerusalem and everywhere Jesus, this was kind of the thing. When people would find out where Jesus was, crowds would just come out of the woodworks and gather. And, and they did that day. And so they're walking into Jerusalem and, and people are, are ready to pronounce him their king. The Jews are ready to say, he's the guy, he's our king. They, they, they in respect and showing honor to them and, and to him, they throw their coats down on the ground so that even the donkey he's riding on doesn't touch the dirt and palm branches. And, and, and so they're ready. This is that opportunity. Everything about flesh and blood would say, this is your moment. Grab it. They're ready to make you king. You know, take that opportunity. They're ready to put you in charge. So you had to decide, do I do this the way that is the will of my father or what makes sense for humanity and, and, and flesh and blood logic? And, and you remember he wept at that moment because he, his heart was for God and he knew that they were misunderstanding why he was really there. What he was going to do was so much more important than just taking power. So that was one opportunity. And, and then later on, and we didn't spend a lot of time with this, but you know that the, the, he has the Passover. We'll talk about that in a moment with, with his disciples. But then they end up in the garden for some prayer. And, and if you'll remember, that's, here's another opportunity. And, you, and, you, and probably maybe one of the ones that so most demonstrates the challenge, the tension, the, the struggle as, as he's praying to the Father, and he knows what prophecy says is about to happen. He knows that one prophet, Isaiah, 600 years before this moment, had written that what was about to happen to Jesus, the Messiah, was so brutal that had you known him before what was about to take place, if you saw him after that, you would not recognize him. He was going to be so disfigured by the beatings and the suffering and the things that were going to happen to him, the cruelty that's going to happen in the next few hours, that it would mar his features to the point where you wouldn't know him. You'd see him and say, oh, I don't, I don't know him. He knew that, and, and, and his humanity, as he's talking to his father, he says, 
Father, if there's any other way to accomplish this purpose that I'm here for, do it another way. Detention. But not my will be done, yours be done. And he went through the cross. And, and so that was always a tension. But it was a tension that showed up in, in another way as well. Uh, it showed up in, in the, the, the problems, the struggle, the, the tension that was between him and the religious leader. Because here's the religious leaders. The religious leaders of that day, that they had created this system. And it was working really well for them. Not only did it give them a great deal of power unbelievable power, but it also made him very wealthy. And, and so they had this system set up and, and everything, you know, everything about their system from a human vantage point said, this makes a lot of sense. You know, why would you not take advantage of this kind of opportunity? In fact, I imagine that the schools for the Pharisees and Sadducees were pretty full because others were thinking, I want to get in on this because it made a lot of sense from humanity's vantage point. And, and so, so, but, there, but here's Jesus coming, and he's teaching these things that are so contrary to anything they've ever said. And, and people are listening to him, and they're saying, this makes sense. And they're starting to, the crowds are growing. And so there's this tension between him and the religious leaders. And in fact, it got to the point where the religious leaders thought, we've got to do something about this. <coughs> so the religious leaders, and, and if you want to turn to it, we're in Matthew 22. That's where we'll spend most of our time this morning. Uh, Gospel of Matthew 22 in your devices or your Bibles. So the Pharisees went out and they laid plans to trap Jesus in his word. They thought, we got to do something about this. Somehow we got to discredit this guy. Somehow we have got to get these people's eyes off of him. And, and so they're trying to figure out what, you know, somehow they got to do this. And, and so they decide, here's what they go. They thought, you know, if we can, if we can at least discredit him with our fellow Jews, because that's what they were interested in, do something to make folks say, well, wait a minute, that's, that's not right. That would be great. He said, what would he be even better? And you're going to see that in this first question. What would be even better if we, if we can trap him, if we can catch him saying something that's contrary to the Romans' rule? Uh, they didn't like the Romans at all. The Romans ruled over them. They were slaves of the rules. They, they, their government, everything was controlled by them. They hated the Romans, but... If they could use the Romans, if they could somehow trap Jesus to say something that would put him at odds with the Romans, and that would be in better yet because then they could report him to the Romans and they could take care of the problem. And, and a lot of their ways of taking the problem were more brutal. So, so they had that plan. So they, they set up a series of questions. And here's one of the first ones. They came to him. The, the Pharisees came and they said, Teacher, we're no, and, and listen to the setup. Man, is, are they laying it on we know already what they're trying to do is trap him. And he knows that they're trying to trap him. But if you're in the crowd right now, you're thinking, wow, these guys, they love him. Listen to this. We know you're a man of integrity. And that you teach, now, man, these words, words should come back to haunt them. That you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Well, if that's the case, uh, none of what happens next should happen, but... Right now, they're just flattering him. You, ha- you aren't swayed by men. You hear what's happened here? We know you. You don't care what men think because you pay no attention to who they are. Jesus, we know what kind of, you're a person of integrity. And you're going to say it the way it is no matter where the chips fall. They have him. They are trying to set him up. 
Then, tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? In their minds, they have come up with the perfect question. Because they think there's no right answer to this. If he says, yeah, you need to pay your taxes, then all of this Jewish crowd who hate the fact that the Roman government takes a big portion of their money all the time, they hate the tax collectors, they hate that whole system, all the people who are following him are going to say, wait a minute, you're you're with them? We're done with you, and and they'd leave. But if he answered... The other way, if he said, no, no, we don't, don't, don't pay taxes to Caesar, they could go to Rome and say, this is an insurrectionist. He's telling people not to pay their taxes. They've got him. He's cornered. <laughs> well, if you look at the passage, they don't got him. Because he pulls out a coin, does a coin trick, basically gives an answer that, that they didn't have any expectation at all, and uh, it doesn't work out. So... So that was the Pharisees. They, they tried first. Then they go back and say, okay, Sadducees, you guys, you give, give it a try. It didn't work for us. We thought we had the perfect question. He outsmarted us on that one, so you give it a try. Now, the Sadducees, you need to know a little bit about them. They were the lawyers, so to speak. Uh, you know, they're an interesting breed. They studied the law, the law of Moses. They, they were the experts. <clears throat> but they didn't study it from a perspective of, per se, relationship with God. They studied it from perspective of, setting up rules and regulations. And, and in fact, they didn't believe. They, they threw out the miracles. They didn't believe in, in so many things about the, the Pharisees. In fact, Pharisees and Sadducees were always at odd with, odds with each other because the Pharisees did believe in heaven and hell and all these things. The, the Sadducees didn't believe in heaven or hell. They didn't believe in afterlife. That's why they're sad, you see. <laughs> I stole that, but it's still good. So So... Pharisees come, and, and although they're usually enemies, it's like we're, we're friends because we have the same enemy. And they say, you go and do your thing. You try to get them because somehow we got to discredit this guy. we got to make him look bad. So, so they head in uh, with their questions. And right here, the Sadduce- same day the Sadducees, say, Sadducees who say there's no resurrection come to him with a question. Teacher, they said, if Moses told us that a man dies, if a man dies without having children, his brother must marry the widow and have children for him. Now, number one, if you've ever thought about lining your life up by the Old Testament, this one verse should say, no way. <laughs> and, yet, and the Bible says you've got to keep them all if you're going to go that route. And, and even still, it's not going to be enough. But So they come and they say, okay, we have a question. Remember, they don't believe in the resurrection anyway, so for, this is almost, you know, they're asking a question that they don't even buy. In fact, what they're trying to do is say, we want to show you how illogical this whole resurrection thing is. So, so they say, so you got, Moses says that, you know, guy and uh, man, uh, woman marry, but the husband dies before they have children. That is the responsibility of the husband's brother to now take, it as, take her as his bride and so they, the family can carry on. <clears throat> and, uh, so, and, and that was, you know, back in that day, that may sound a little weird to us, but really back in that day, that was a, that was a remarkable thing because... If you know anything about that time in history when Moses and all the women were, they had no, they had nothing going for them. They, they were, you know, they were really, uh, the, the husband was their master. 
And they got no, you know, he could do whatever he wanted. Uh, if you've been coming to the marriage thing on Sunday nights, we've been talking a little bit about that. They, they really, and so this is remarkable. And if they would lose their husband as a widow, they were really doomed to a life of just begging for food because they had no way to provide an income for themselves. They didn't allow women to do that back in that time and space. And, and so they were, they, were, they were stuck with begging to survive, and a lot of them didn't survive. And so that was a tremendous thing when, when God said, no, we're going to take, we have a responsibility to take care of the widows. And, but the Sadducees came, and that's not really their reason. And so they say, so they say okay, uh, that's what Moses says. So they say this, let me tell you a story. He said, there's this man, whether it was or not, man and this woman, they got married, and he died before they had children. And so his brother married his widow, and then he died. And so then his brother, the third brother now, He's responsible, so he marries the widow, and he dies. And seven times this happens, you know. Man, I, after you kind of say, I don't want to marry her. No, thank you. <laughs> this happens seven times. So here's the Pharisees. Here's the I got you line. They don't believe in the resurrect, in resurrection or afterlife anyway. They say, okay, so when she gets to heaven... Who she married to? They think they got the question. Everybody's going to, because he can't, he's going to answer this thing. We got him. He's going to look foolish after this. And, uh, and Jesus <laughs> says, about the resurrection, that first of all, he says, there is no marriage in heaven, number one. Uh, I remember uh, when, Mar- when Mary Lou and I first had that conversation, and, and uh, we're, she was talking about us, you know, when we get to heaven and Mary, and I says, we're not married in heaven. And I was like, what? Wait a minute, you know? And, uh, but, but I told her, I said, we're, we're hanging. We're hanging in heaven. I just want you know. Uh, and so, but, so, so he says, there is no married in, married in heaven. You're like the angels, and the angels are not given in marriage. Uh, and the love in, in heaven is so much richer even than the best of marriages. So. But then he goes on, he says, but about the resurrection of the dead, because he knows they don't believe in that. He said, haven't you read? Have you not read that God said to you, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Here's what's interesting about that. God made that statement through Moses in Exodus. When that statement was made, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were where? They were in the grave. They'd been dead for a long time. But God said, I, in present tense, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're not dead. They're alive. Their body's gone, but they're alive today. This very day, I am their God, and they're in the living. And so he uses, he's perfect because Moses is their guy. The Sadducees, man, Moses is it. And he says, listen to your own prophet. There is resurrection. And so that doesn't work. Okay, so they tried twice. So now they get back together, and, and when, notice, when the, it, it keeps backfiring on them. Every time they try to trap Jesus and make him look dumb, he comes out looking even better, and more and more people are excited about him, and they, they just are amazed, they're astonished at his teaching. Another passage says, they, they said, we've never heard teaching like this before. So they get back together, and, and, and they decide, okay, we... we this is not working out. So this time they pull out their best, the, the, the best and the brightest. In fact, this guy, not only is he a Pharisee in this verse you see, but he's also an expert in the law. So he's got both things going for him. And then they thought, he's our smartest and best, and let's send him in, and let's try this again because we've got to make, we got to somehow discredit Jesus. So they send this guy in with a question. And here's the question. He says, teacher, which is the greatest 
commandment in the law? Now, that's not a hard question. In fact, when he asked that question, everybody in that audience was already quoting the answer because that was like a Sunday school question that they would ask and the kids would, you know, what does John 3.16 say? For God so loved the world. It's just, it was that kind of a thing. So, so and, and the truth is, I think he had a follow-up question. He wanted Jesus to make the, the statement that everybody knew he would make, and then the, 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 this expert in the law was going to come back with a follow-up that would be the zinger. So Jesus answers, and I suspect as he's saying this, people are mouthing it along with him. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. And the lawyer thinks, gotcha. And then Jesus goes, and... And he's thinking, wait, there is no and. This is it. That's it. That's the statement. No, no, you're going to mess up my plan here. There's no and. But he goes on, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, that doesn't sound too remarkable to us. But when he put those two together, it had never happened before. One was in Exodus, one was in Leviticus. And they never put those two together. And worse than that, when he says the second is like it, that doesn't mean that it's second in sequence. He is saying these are on equal plane. They are the same. They work together hand in hand. You cannot have one without the other, which I got to tell you has just totally blown away the whole system of religion that that these people have lived under for centuries because the way their law was set up, and then he goes on and said, and everything in the law and the prophets, everything about your Jewish scriptures hangs on these two. If you'll just do these two, you don't need the rest. They'll happen. They had 640 plus other rules. And he just said, you don't need those, you just need these two. They had just been turned on top of their head. For the first time ever, the vertical relationship God was placed on a level filled with the horizontal relationship neighbor. This had never been said before. In fact, their whole system was based on the fact that I could really do anything I wanted to you. And then all I had to do was go make sacrifices, you know? You couldn't come back to me and say, Paul, I don't like what you said. I don't like what you did. You know, that really wasn't fair because I could say, you know what, too bad because me and God were okay because I made the sacrifice. I said the prayer. I did, you know, and so their whole system was it really doesn't matter how you treat other people as long as it's good between you and God. And you can say that. And, and he's just said, no, it doesn't work that way. In fact, it's not good with you and God if it's not good with you and your neighbor. This was huge. This was huge. But he's not done. Because a few weeks later, they kind of think, okay, well, let's ask a follow-up question. The follow-up question is, well, then who is my neighbor? What's that mean, neighbor? Now, in the Jewish mind, the neighbor, neighbor could only be another Jew. They didn't care about, they didn't have to. We don't, we don't have to care about the Gentiles, the Samaritans, any of those other people just my fellow Jews, and even that was limited because in their system of religion, if something bad happened to you, you know, you got sick, your finances fell apart, or then the first assumption was you must have done something dumb, something wrong. You've sinned. That's why this has happened because God blesses 
their translation, does good things for people that are all right with him. And so if you're going through a hard time, if you're going through any of these sicknesses or whatever, we don't have to care because it's, we don't want to step in front of God, God's way, you know. He's trying to do these things to you. And so even in that, in within the Jewish neighbor perspective, that was limited to the, just the ones that they really liked and wanted to do something with for And so that next question is asked, well, then who is my neighbor? And then he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. You know that story? We're not going to go into it. <clears throat> but it is a story of a Jewish man that's traveling to Jerusalem, and he gets attacked and beaten and left for dead, and he's in bad shape. And along comes a priest, a Jewish priest, and he sees his fellow Jew on the ground dying from his beating but in his concept, in his religious perspective of this vertical only is only important relationship with God, he was able to look at it and say, man, that guy must have really done something bad. So I, don't, I shouldn't help him because if God wants this to happen to his life, I should just, you know, stay out of it. And he goes the other side of the road and, you know, two other Jew, Jews come to the same decision and walk right by him. And then comes a Samaritan and a Samaritan, they don't have anything with the Jews. The Jews can't stand the Samaritans. They're half-breeds. They would go out of their way not to step on, on Jew, Samaritan territory. But along comes a Samaritan in Jesus' story, and he's the only one who shows compassion and mercy. And he takes this Jewish up to that moment in everybody's mind, enemy, and he works and restores him and puts him in a place to stay and pays to have him stay there and being taken care of. And suddenly there's a new definition of neighbor. This is getting even deeper. And now he says, here's the new definition. Anyone, anywhere with a need that you can meet, that's your neighbor. If God places them on your path and you have an opportunity to minister to them, that's your neighbor. One, one uh, author said this, love for God is best illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by love for those who are nothing like you and who may not even like you. This is what he said he's, to these people. He said, here, let me tell you what a, a neighbor is. Anyone has a need, and, and they may, may be nothing like you. They don't have the same interests, the same heart. They don't love your God. They don't want to be a part of your church. They don't want to have anything to do with you. In fact, not only are they nothing like you, they don't like you. But if they have a need and you can do something about it, they're your neighbor. And if you want to be right with God, you've got to be right with that person. You've got to do what's right with that person. And this has totally wiped them out. They, in fact, to the point where a decision is made at this moment, because Jesus is not done. But at that moment, the Pharisees realize this isn't working out. He's doing, he's saying these things, and everybody likes what he's saying. He's performing miracle signs, and that's pointing to the fact that he actually is God, and they even recognize that. This isn't working out. If we let him go on, everybody's going to believe him. You know, and here you're thinking, He's, he's, he's what you've been saying to the, for them to wait for. You should be pointing to him. But they're worried that they're going to believe him. Everyone will believe him if we let this go on. And so they got the word out. Watch for a chance to arrest him. And they don't want to just arrest him. They actually want to kill him. They let 
We let him go on, and they're going to believe him. He must die, and they get the word spread out. In fact, in, in the scriptures, if you look at the scriptures, one passage says that they didn't plan to kill him during Passover. There were too many crowds around, too much people, too many people around him. Their plan was to wait till after Passover when people went back to their different regions and then to catch him with just his disciples so that they could privately take him aside and, and put him to death. Of course, if you know the story... Uh, about that same time, time, there's a guy named Judas who was a follower of Jesus. And maybe on that road to Jerusalem, as they're walking in the Passover, he, he becomes very dissatisfied with what, because he sees the crowds, he sees the excitement, he sees they're ready to make Jesus king. Excuse me, we've, uh, we've got a little vision into his heart. You know, he's really about himself and about finances and gaining money and so maybe he lined himself out in the very beginning with with jesus thinking you know what i think he's the guy so he's going to be rich which if i'm close to him i get to be rich and and so we don't i don't know what but whatever whatever went on the things that jesus had said hinting towards his death the way he reacted on the road to jerusalem weeping about the fact that these people are looking at him this way Judas makes the decision satan moves in his heart and he says Nah, this isn't going to work. And, and what Judas does, you know, it's more than just, I'll show you who they, they knew who Jesus was. They didn't need somebody to lead them to Jesus. They all knew who he was. They needed someone willing to testify against Jesus, to claim that he had been a blasphemer. And that's what Judas agreed to do. And so now they said, well, we don't have to wait till after Passover, then let's get this going. And, and so you know what happened next. Uh, and that night, as they got together, remember Jesus got together with his, his followers, his, his 12, and, and they shared a Passover meal. There comes this point where he tells Judas, go do what you're going to do. But if you remember, a number of really unusual things happened during that meal. Uh, it was a gathering that the Jews would do every year, and they would remember how God delivered them from their slavery to the Egyptians. And, and all the elements, the bread and the cup, all had to do with, with that delivery, and but that night, as Jesus, remember, as he first walks in, having, the disciples are having an argument. They're, they're arguing over who should be the second in command and third in command and who's the most important. And, and as they're having this argument, Jesus comes in and, and gets the base of water. Nobody, they're supposed to, it was, the practice of the day was, you know, before a meal, you know, we, we wash our hands. You know, my grandkids, they'll, they'll come down and you say, did you wash your hands? And they go back up. That, but the practice that day was... To wash, they would wash their feet because they were dirty and dusty, and, and they reclined. They didn't sit in chairs; they reclined, so their feet were in each other's faces. I know it sounds gross to us, but and and so the servant, the a servant would be there to wash feet. Well, no servant was there, and so no nobody, none of the disciples, are going to do. It. I'm, I'm not washing feet; that's a servant's job. And you know what happened? Jesus walks in, and he he washes their feet. So that's strange. And then he says, you saw what, you see what I just did? There's your example. This is how I want you to lead. You lead by being the one to, to be the quickest to the back of the line. This is what leadership is about. It's about serving each other. This is the example I want you to, to share. And then, and then they get to the cup and, 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 or the bread. And usually the bread has to do with this whole Passover and the, as they bake that unleavened bread before they were getting ready to, to flee from Egypt. And, and, but that night he says, no, it's not about that anymore. Now it's about me. This is now my 
body, which is going to be broken. They're saying, wait a minute, what are you talking about? Because they still don't get this. See? They still don't understand what's about to happen to him, but they would in a few hours. And then he gets a cup, and instead of the cup being representative of the blood that was put over the doorposts as, as, as the angel of death came into Egypt and, and, and saved their families, protected their families, he said, no, it's not about that anymore. Now it's about my blood, which will be shed for you. And they're saying, what? Again, what's going on? And it's such a confusing, confusing night for them. But then he caps it with this. He says, and I have a new command for you. Now, that right was probably shocking. If they, if they weren't so shocked about everything else, they probably, some of them may have got up and left because they, they would have said, wait a minute, you, only God makes, gives commands. Yeah, he used Moses, but God gave them to Moses. Only God gives commands. What, what are you doing? What are you doing with the command, making commands for us, speaking for God? See, they still don't get it. They're, in fact, in a few hours, they're going to run. So a new command I have for you, love one another. And then they would have said, well, wait a minute, that's not new. And he would have said, I'm not through. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so you're thinking, okay, so now are there three commands? You said, you know, love God and love your neighbor. And now, you know, if you can't love the one you're with or can't get the one you love, then love the one you're with. That wasn't it, no. Uh, just seeing so paying attention. He says, no, no, you're not getting me. It's not 640 commands. It's not even two commands. All you need is one. Here's the question that we ask. Here's Jesus' command. You know, the Old Testament, the, it's, they, their, their thought was, you know, uh, uh, love, here, here's what we do. It's obey the commands. In, in the church, often we'll say it's, it's all about obeying the, the Bible. But Jesus' command is this. As I have loved you, so you should love others. And he says, in fact, by this, all men will, men will know you're my disciples. This is what it is. I tell you what, if we get this, if we get this, you know, that, that's the question we ask. We get in a situation and, and, we're, and we say, well, I don't, know, I don't know what to do about this. They said this to me. I don't know how to respond. Well, then you ask the question, how would love respond? Because that's the answer. I don't know what decision to make in this situation. What does love require of you? How do you think Jesus would have handled this? Because that's the answer to this question. I'm not sure what to say here. Well, what does love require? Because that's the, that's the command. Everything gets thought through, responded to by this one command. All you need is one. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. That's the one thing we got to get, church. We get that right. And everything else falls into place. And if you're one of those who has walked away because you didn't like what you saw Christians doing or you didn't like what you heard about the Bible or you didn't like, you left for the wrong reason. Or if you have your, your hand on the door and you're saying, no, nah, you know, I don't, I'm not into this stuff. 
wait a minute. Make sure you're not rejecting the wrong thing. Because it's not about this church or the person sitting next to you. It's about Jesus who loved you enough to sacrifice himself for you. So before you walk away, make sure you've taken a look at Jesus. Let's pray. Father, uh, this, is, this is huge. Those disciples, man, they were blown away by the things you said in, in those number of weeks. You turned everything about their life, their process, their thoughts, of what they've been taught, their religion, their religion, 